0: Our eternal hope, God, that that surpasses anything that we could experience here on earth. A hope that far outlasts any achievements, any gains that we could uh, collect within this life, any good days or, or even bad days. Lord, your presence, your goodness, your grace, your strength, your wisdom surpass all of our understanding. So, Lord, as we gather here today, we pray that you would enable us to worship you for all that you are, all that you have been to us throughout our lives, no matter where we are in our walk with you, that we would worship you for all that you've been for your church from the very beginning, God, when you modeled self-giving love, sacrificial love, God, may you help us to see the ways that you've loved us in such a posture. On the days when we felt unlovable or maybe we felt ashamed or guilty that you still love us the same. On days when we've made mistakes, when we've clearly sinned against you, you continue to love us. You continue to welcome us without question. God, first today as we worship you, would you help us to Receive the depth of your love for ourselves. And then, God, would you convict us of the ways that maybe we're not having that same loving posture to others? Because if we're honest, it's hard for all of us to love our enemies, to see people who have differing viewpoints as human beings just like us. It's hard to keep an open heart, God. So, Lord, we're counting on you to give us a word today to help us to see more of who you are and who you're calling us to be. So, Lord, show us the steps that we can take. Fill our hearts with joy, compassion, and courage to take whatever steps you would place before us, even the smallest one. And we trust that you are continually taking us on this journey of being transformed into uh, your likeness. A journey that's never completed within our lifetime, but one that you bid us to, come, to continue on. So Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open, that you would change us into the people that you would have us to be as we were trusting that your Holy Spirit is present with us as we worship you, but continually throughout our days. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, the scripture reading I'd like to read with you this morning comes from the book of Matthew yet again. This is uh, chapter 5, still in chapter 5, verses 38-38. Through 48. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus says to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go also the second mile, give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be, you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and your sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, Amen. Well, during this Lenten time, we've been talking uh, each week about different elements of what it means to be a disciple. Another word of, uh, for disciple is to be a follower. A follower of Jesus. Now, when I read the Bible, I've said this before, uh, if I was to, to read the entire thing and say, what's a big takeaway from the Bible? If you read the whole thing through, what's the main thing that you should focus on? And I've said it before. Uh, first, this guy Jesus is pretty amazing. He's filled with love and compassion and truth. And it's also pretty clear that uh, to be a Christian is to follow Jesus. But yet one thing that I've noticed in my time in the church, which is limited compared to some of you, is that we don't talk about following Jesus as much as some other things. We talk maybe more about Christian values and our Christian worldview and perspective, but we don't necessarily talk about following Jesus, which really gets down to the nitty-gritty of our everyday life. Maybe that's part of the reason we don't like to talk about following Jesus, because Jesus cuts to the heart. Jesus convicts us of the ways that we're not following Him, that we're not being faithful. And so that's what we're going to talk uh, again today about, is just one more perspective of what it means to be a disciple, a student, a follower of Jesus. As I've said before, there are many different things that we could talk about. We could talk about following Jesus for an entire year. It's like looking at a diamond, right? Every different perspective that you look at that diamond, you're going to see something different. That's what it means to look at Jesus and wonder, what does it mean to follow Him in my everyday life? Now today I want to start by talking about an experience that I had when Gina and I traveled up to the Twin Cities, I went went two weeks ago now when we went to the airport and I traveled for my last trip for school. That's a joy. Mentioned it last week. I'm so grateful for that. As we're driving, actually, Gina drove, so I'm just kind of looking around and I started to notice gosh, there are so many billboards for law firms in this day and age. They're everywhere. I mean, it it doesn't matter. Even as we approach Mankato, sometimes there's there's, uh, billboards that say, Do you need a lawyer? Did you make a mistake? Need to lawyer up. Someone one time was uh, one that I read. What is going on here? And as you get up to the cities, you know, you really get into the corridor where all the businesses are. Uh, There used to be a big Best Buy building. I don't think it's there anymore. And now I've realized that those are all becoming new buildings. You know what they're becoming? Law firms. (laughs) Like, what in the world is going on? Uh, How come we have so many people who want to sue other people? I mean, that seems like I've noticed a big change in my life. And I'm, only, I'm almost 40, you guys. So you, I know some of the older folks say that's not very old. It feels old. still feels old. It's just saying. But just in my lifetime, I've noticed, gosh, I don't watch that much TV anymore, but I've noticed that um, when I watch TV, there's commercial after commercial after commercial about getting a lawyer and suing and getting what's yours. You deserve this. We're here for you, to protect you and keep you safe. And now, I know that this is nothing new, and I don't want to diminish, you know, sometimes you really need a lawyer. There are real-life situations where you need legal help, and I'm not trying to diminish that reality. But I'm starting to think that all the billboards and the law firms and the commercials are sort of a, a sign of what's happening on the inside of us. Sort of this posture of hostility, Towards the other. Of uh, I'm going to win. I'm going to have a victory. I'm going to make sure that you're wrong and I'm right. Especially when it comes to my stuff. My body. My business. My values. My rights. It's nothing new. This is human nature. Is to be defensive of what's ours. Our way of life. Our well being, and in some sense, we need this posture. Otherwise, we would be dead. <laughs> we need to be concerned about defending ourselves and, and uh, doing what's right, acting justly. I'm starting to see this as kind of a symptom of an inner heart condition that we have, and, and this defensive posture is kind of like I've experienced in other parts of my life where it, it feels like a cat backed into a corner. Have you ever seen this? or maybe a dog that's really mean, not the kind of dog you'd want to have, and they're scratching, you know, and they're hissing at you. That posture is so prevalent in our society today. Take a deep breath for a second and ask yourself, have I had that posture in any area of my life? And I know that we're going to start thinking about it and realize that just about all of us have felt that way in the last year. Over the masks. Over some political thing. Over some coworker, Over the direction of our society or our culture. I mean, if we're honest, we've had that posture in one way or another. So what would Jesus say about this posture of hostility? Of sort of def- being defensive? What would he say about that? Well, it's pretty clear when we read Scripture. I like to encourage you to read the words of Jesus if you're wondering what does it mean to be a Christian in the world today. If we read the words of Jesus, it's pretty clear that Jesus tells His followers how they're supposed to live. He's really clear about that. I mean, He tells His disciples on the Sermon on the Mount all these different things that are really pretty radical. Even for, for that time when, when Jesus was teaching and, and walking the earth... Uh, But in the Sermon on the Mount uh, specifically, He's teaching His followers, His disciples, how to be like Him. And He's setting a new standard for living in community with one another. That's a big part of what we see with Jesus. But if you look at the big picture of especially the Sermon on the Mount, you see that what Jesus is doing is bringing a radical reversal of human nature and the societal norms of the day. Let me just read a couple of, of these to you. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those in ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with the brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Here's another one. You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows that you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, Do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is His footstool. And then we get to the reading of today. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. And all these reversal statements come to this dramatic climax of this text that's really hard for us to live out. We would all say it's important, especially as Christians. We would say, oh yeah, learn that one in Sunday school. But probably the hardest one to carry out is that Jesus says, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Let me read it specifically. I should have just read that one, you guys. Sorry. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Gosh, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. And and I, I would have to admit that I struggle with this. To pray for the people that don't like me. To pray for the people who maybe get offended at the things that I say or the posture that I bring to my Christian faith. But if we look at all these texts, we see that Jesus is making it clear that to follow him, to be his disciples, we're going to need to break away from the societal norms, the societal behaviors that we say, oh, that's just what you do. If, you, if somebody hurts you, you sue them. If somebody asks something of you, you say, well, let me, let me evaluate the situation a little bit. Need to break away from societal norms and embrace a new radical posture of self giving love. Self giving, not self preserving, not protecting ourselves, not saying this is mine and that's yours over there, or we're a Christian nation and everybody else who's a threat to that needs to stay out. That's not what we read from Jesus. Jesus embodies self-giving love and, and commands us to live in the same way. Love for God. Love for our neighbor. It's not just a fun sign that we put on a decoration in our home. It's actually the life that we're supposed to live. It's a type of love that Jesus Himself lived while He was on earth. This powerful, healing, transformative, forgiving love that changed the life of everybody who received it. And He took that sort of self-giving love all the way to the point of the cross when He died. He calls us to this similar posture of loving our neighbors with a self-sacrificing, unconditional love that frankly is not an option. We don't get to choose when we give self-giving love or uh, when we are self-preserving Or say, well, that's nice for the super-Christians. Maybe the the pastor should love his enemies, but not me, because I'm an American. It doesn't work that way. Or I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican. I don't need to love my enemies. Of course not. That's ridiculous. Jesus makes it clear. He's speaking to his disciples. And at the end of the section, he says, at the very end of everything I read to you, he says again, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now this is an important connection here because the, the language that's used for children of your Father in heaven is exactly the same as what we find in the Old Testament language of what was called being sons of Israel like descendants of Abraham. And so all the laws of being righteous, right in God's eyes, uh, would if you could be righteous, then you would be included in the people of Israel. And so Jesus is making a clear connection between what it meant to be right in God's eyes in the Old Testament. And now He's saying, this is how you are God's people in this new age, in this kingdom that I am ushering in. Jesus says you have to do this This is a requirement so that you can be children of your Father in heaven. Children of God. This is a major point. And Jesus is making a clear connection that this is how we're supposed to live if we want to be God's people, Christians, is what we say today. Loving your neighbors and your enemies isn't just a fun option or if we get to a certain progression in our spiritual walk, But rather, it's a requirement for God's people. Now, it's confusing. I admit it's really confusing because Jesus says, a text that we've all heard before uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Isn't that how we're supposed to live? We're supposed to try and win over each other and defend what we feel is right. And again, that's the Old Testament version of the law. And Jesus clearly shows that he knows the Old Testament. It's not like he forgot that part or he's saying it's not important anymore. Jesus knows the Old Testament and through his own life, his actions, including the death on the cross, he's taking the wrath of God and saying he's bringing about a new age, a new way of God's people to interact with one another. One scholar that I read said it like this, that Jesus is stressing the need to break decisively from the chain of evil action and reaction that characterizes human relationships. So Jesus is acknowledging that it's hard for us to not try and uh, strike back at one another. That that's just part of our sinful nature, that we're going to want to fight. And as I said, part of that's actually important for us to survive and to make progress in society, that we have to have sort of this urge to protect or to have victory. But Jesus is saying that we are to fight against that urge within ourselves in a way that demonstrates self-giving love. Now, to be clear, uh, our sinful nature will keep us from ever being able to be free from uh, wanting to strike back or to get revenge or to sue or to win. We'll never be freed of that posture of saying, okay, now I've grown enough in my faith that I never want to do any of those things but rather as we grow in faith and we invite Jesus into our hearts, we begin to recognize when we have that posture and say, Lord, I surrender that to you. God, I surrender my rights to you, trusting that you will protect me, trusting that right here in this moment you are present and you love me, and so therefore I have everything that I need. God's grace enables us to grow and to heal, to take ownership of our own feelings and dispositions towards the other people in our life, especially our enemies. But also to be clear, what Jesus is commanding doesn't just mean that we don't fight for what we believe in. We need to work to bring justice to areas where injustice is being uh, played out. As disciples, we're called to face injustice with courage and strength, but also with love for our enemies. There's this delicate balance there to have mercy and compassion for people who are different from us. The same love and mercy and compassion that Jesus has shown us. You might ask the question, well, what about uh, what's happening in our country? What about the values that are being usurped and all the chaos around us? Well, again... Jesus can shed light on this situation. Listen to some of the similarities. And some people use this text incorrectly as a prophecy and say, now is the time we need to fight because of all the things that are happening in the world. Listen carefully to the words of Jesus. And this is in Luke chapter 21. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and plagues. Okay, So some would say plagues is a pandemic that we're experiencing right now. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. Okay, this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. They will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. It will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. Gosh, that's really scary, isn't it? Incredibly scary. But Jesus, he doesn't doesn't mince words. He never promises that it's going to be an easy walk to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. Then listen to what he says. You'll be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Maybe what we need is a a bigger perspective of what our life is really all about. That the things that we battle and try to protect aren't really what matters most to Jesus. Jesus wants our heart. Jesus wants our soul. Jesus wants our everything. Not so much the day in, day out things. And it's our soul that Jesus has claimed for his and promises to protect for eternity. No matter what happens in our country or even in Little Lake Crystal here or in our church, Jesus uh, isn't dependent upon any of those things to claim our soul because He has already done that. And it is forever an eternal promise that was accomplished through self-giving love. And friends, I hope that it's abundantly clear that we as followers of Jesus are called to the exact same posture of self-giving love. You can disagree with me if you want. But let's talk about what Jesus says. And you can say that there's extenuating circumstances. And I'll say to you, you're going to have to talk to Jesus about that. That <laughs> he's the only one who can answer the questions that you may have about the specifics of your life. I can try to help you. But what I know is abundantly clear in scripture is that Jesus calls us to the similar posture of self-giving love. Now, how do we measure our actions? Because there's so much variety in what happens in the world. How do we know? How can we measure how, if, if we're doing the right thing in God's eyes? Well, I've said it before, and this time i prepared, and I'm going to read to you the fruits of the Spirit. So when we're living our daily lives, we can look to these uh, characteristics that the Apostle Paul says are evidence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit working within us. And they can be kind of a roadmap for us to know uh, if we're living within uh, God's will for our life. Paul says, by contrast, contrast of the works of the flesh, he lists those. He says, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Notice that even Paul says, if we belong to Christ, like we can say that we're Christians, but to, but to belong to God, to belong to Jesus, to be claimed as His and be His representatives in this life, we have a higher standard of living than the rest of the world. It's just clear. And in our pursuit of justice or doing the right thing, Jesus will never ask us to abandon our pursuit of Him. To say, Jesus, you need to take a time out because I'm going to go do this thing that I know deep down you're against. No, that's not how it works. Jesus always calls us to follow Him in our actions and to have this posture of self-giving love. Now let me give you a a clear illustration of the power of self-giving love. Because we can talk all day about why it's important. And you would probably agree with me that it's important. Or you'd say, okay, I can see that Jesus said that. And I'll take him seriously on that. But we have to understand how powerful it is. So to help you see this, I'll tell you a story about our crazy house. Sometimes. (laughs) And, you know, with two young children, you get uh, tantrums that happen. And, you know, as a parent, when a tantrum is happening, you just think of all the things that you would like to do. (laughs) Uh, You know, you need to have a time out. Maybe I got spanked when I was a kid. I don't spank my kids, but say, you need a spanking. (laughs) You're being naughty. Uh, You're being wrong. I'm clearly in the right. I know what's best for you. But none of those things work. If you do any of those things, uh, the tantrum continues and actually intensifies. And uh, two, I think it was two weeks ago when we got back, uh, from, or last Sunday, when we got back from Florida, I watched Gina do the most amazing thing. Uh, Peyton is throwing a tantrum. And she's throwing herself down on the kitchen floor. And I'm just, I've lost it. I'm fried you know, with the whole situation. And Gina goes and sits down on the floor and grabs onto Peyton and just holds her. And she just held her and held her and at first Peyton said, no, 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 my blood's boiling. And she just continues to hold her and she starts rocking her and just saying, it's okay, it's okay. And a couple minutes later, Peyton is not only not throwing a tantrum, But she's beginning to smile. She's beginning to laugh. She's beginning to to come back to her old self. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for us in his posture of self-giving love towards us. Our souls are constantly throwing tantrums, are we not? (laughs) Well, that's not right. That person's wronged me. I deserve better. And Jesus holds us and says, "You're loved. You're mine. I died for you. I'm with you forever. And it changes us to be held in that way, to be embraced by Jesus. And friends, this isn't just a cute story, but this is a powerful demonstration. Of the transformational power that your self-giving love can have for others. Times when we might be right, when the other people might be wrong, when we have an opportunity to give more of ourselves rather than retreat, rather than withdraw, rather than become aggressive. Self-giving love shows up in our lives like calling someone who you knew you know. It's their turn to call you. You know that you've been the one calling them again and again. Self-giving love for a parent might be ten more minutes at the playground. (laughs) just had that yesterday. Ten more minutes, Dad. Three more slides down. Okay, I guess. (laughs) Self-giving love could be being curious about somebody who's different from you. Maybe who you know has a different opinion than you. Self-giving love is making yourself uncomfortable for the sake of building a deeper relationship, which is something that we all need, is deeper relationships with one another. Not more relationships, but deeper ones. Self-giving love is continuing to give our time, our energy, our heart, our money to something that we could easily say, I've given enough, but I'll give more. Self-giving love is approaching the person that maybe you know that you would much rather avoid. They're difficult. It's awkward. Maybe they're not a good listener. They haven't been a good friend. So on and so forth. I hope that you start to see the connections. There's always opportunity for self-giving love. But in order to live in this posture we have to understand that Jesus has first embraced us and holds us, loves us, has given Himself for our sake so that we could know that we are children of God and so we could share that sort of self-giving love, that powerful, transformative self-giving love with the people that we encounter in our daily lives. Friends, I'm convinced that if we could adopt even just one more degree of this posture, we would start to see some amazing things happen. Not just a tantrum being changed into a a happy kid, but people's lives being changed. And the most amazing part is that when we open ourselves up in this way, when we trust Jesus by giving more of ourselves and not trying to protect what is rightfully ours, we experience more of God's grace for ourselves. And we grow in courage. We grow in trust, come what may. I'm not afraid of the direction of the country or the world because I I believe what Jesus says. And I'm committed to living out as best as I can what He commands us to do. My commitment to you as your pastor is to challenge you and hopefully encourage you to do the same. Not because I think it's right or wrong, but because I know that that's what's best for you. I want to see the Holy Spirit work in your life just as much as mine. So friends, as we leave today, may you have the courage, the strength, the faith in Jesus to open more of your life to the others who are around you that might even try to take what you have Remember that you belong to Christ. Nothing can change that reality. Amen.